0: I love that song. I was thinking I ought to take what we've been talking about here and use it to write five or six more verses to it. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you've done for us. I cannot repay it. Into the Holy of Holies by the blood of the Lamb. Lord, I I ask that you give us a spirit of wisdom revelation as we open this word. Flood our heart with light. Give us understanding, Father. Help us to understand these such deep 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 truths that you have set in place as a foundation. Yes, as a foundation, Father. Thank you, Lord. Bless the ear of the hearer, Father. Give me utterance for the hearer, Father. Help us to understand. Let that uh, word that you have just register on our heart, Father. Just like a like a clear bell ringing, and say yes. This is what this means. Was there all the time? I thank you, Father, and in Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. All right. So, uh, wow. First of all, I'd like to stretch out my hand and pray for all the mothers here. And By the way, I'm not doing a Mother's Day sermon, if you will. And uh, But I will have a couple things to say. But uh, <clears throat> are, are you surprised that I'm not having you turn to Proverbs 31? Let's turn to Proverbs 31. Talk about the Proverbs 31 woman. <laughs> and all the women went, oh, another one of these. No, no, we're not doing that but I do want to stretch out my hands for all you mothers and the ones at home, and you all know who you are. And so, Father, and anybody else, you just agree here with me. Lord, I pray blessing, blessing upon all the mothers, Lord God, not just mothers of, of physical children, but also those of spiritual children, Lord God, those who have taken others under their wing, said so I may not be your birth mother, but I will mother you in the word. And I thank you, Father God. I ask you, Lord God, that you put blessing upon them. Give them wisdom, Lord God. But more, more so, I pray <clears throat> that you give them confirmation in those areas that they are doing well. Because so many times, we feel like we are not up to the task. And this includes mothers. And so, Father, I pray you strengthen them in their office. And give them blessing, Father. And the more and more that they seek you and they seek to please you, the more and more you give them the desires of their heart. I thank you, Father, and I praise you. And in Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, mothers, for everything you have done. Okay. We've been talking about the temple in the Old Testament and how God used it to show us a blueprint of his plan for how we would interact with him today. The, The temple, the tabernacle, the temple were physical locations where the people interacted with God. That's where they came to interact with Him. In one way or another, whatever they needed. Like remember we talked about like the priest didn't necessarily need to, he, they didn't necessarily know what kind of offering the person was going to bring. You go back and you look at Leviticus, there was many different types of offerings for many different things. And so they're coming in. They may be able to tell, well, based on what they're carrying up here, this is probably the kind of sacrifice we're doing today. But maybe not, because some of the sacrifices were very similar. And so they had to say, what are you bringing this Sacrifice for? Or is this a sacrifice or is this an offering? So the priest would have to say, okay. So there are many different ways that they interacted with God when they came. When they came. And so this blueprint that we've been talking about is how God, He's showing us through Old Testament types and shadows, how He was planning on interacting with us in these times as well. And so, you know, you remember Jesus and the woman at the well. You know, we talked about that. And her, her her driving question, where, you know, she said when, when she realized, Jesus, I, I perceive that you're a prophet. Then she said, essentially, where do I go to worship God? You Jews, you know, you Jews say we're supposed to go to Jerusalem. We say that what's here at Mount Kerosene where our ancestors worship, where do I go? What physical location, where do I go that I can interact with God? And she wasn't wrong for asking that because that was the, that was what God had established at that time. That's why Jesus said, woman, there's a time coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God took that physical location, and over now where we are, he's changed that from a physical location to a spiritual location. It's a location of the heart, because it's in spirit and in truth. For those who worship, because God is spirit, remember Jesus said, God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And uh, what's that mean, a spirit and truth? A sincere heart. Put it very simply. I mean, it's deeper than that, but just to have a sincerity of heart to seek after God and to find, even when it's difficult, even when it's dry. Lord, I don't sense your presence, but I'm going to draw in any, I'm going I'm to keep after you anyway. I'm going to chase after you because he's the prize, right? He's the prize. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 says, search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me. Now, maybe that was just verse 22, I don't remember. Anyway, David understood some things about the heart before some other people got it. Even though David was under the old covenant, he was under, and so he he did the same thing when he he had to go. He was the king, but he still had to go to the temple, just like, or the tabernacle, just like everybody else. Still had to offer sacrifices because he was an imperfect man. But he understood that God was interested in not only sacrifices, but God was interested in his heart too. And so he says, "Search me, O God, know my heart." What's he, he's inviting God to search his heart? Lord, please. And God knows all things, so he already knows what's in everybody's heart, but there's a difference between knowing it and actually going in and searching it out, even though God already knew what's there. It's like we talked about, like I'm, I may be in a room and, and someone comes in behind me and I know someone's in there, but there's a difference between knowing that they're there and actually physically turning around and looking at them. Okay. So, <clears throat> so he says. Search. Da- David wanted to. David wanted to interact with God on a heart level. That's what he wanted. He opened his heart. Search me, know my anxieties. Remember, we talked about the dwelling place that God has for us as a place of rest. Yeah, that's what we've been talking about. The place of rest. It's an anxiety-free place. I mean, stress is something that's like. I'm not, what did Jesus worry not? Don't worry about the troubles of don't worry about the troubles of today. Don't worry about it. Worry-free, stress-free place. You say, "Well, how's that possible? Well, all things are possible with God. Turn to Psalm 127, please, if you will. Psalm 127. and if you've ever had a personal conversation with me and you ever happened to mention that you're having trouble sleeping if you did that you probably heard me say psalm 127 any, it, any any of you ever experienced that with me you're talking to me i'm having trouble sleeping pastor psalm 127 psalm 127 sometimes i think when we're worn out we're tired we tell other believers we don't we tell them about it we don't really want them to give us a scripture What we want is for them to say, I am so sorry that's happening to you, you know. And so we get a little down when they give us a Bible verse, maybe. But if I can't receive the Bible verse, I need to ask myself if I really believe the Bible verse that they gave me. (laughs) I heard a minister one time talking about how he and his spouse were seeing a marriage counselor. And people, when they found out, the people in the church found out, they said, what's going on? Are you guys splitting up? Are you, you know, they're panic mode, right? Oh, no, what's happening? You're seeing a marriage counselor? And he said, no, we don't don't have any problems at all. He said, in fact, we're in a really good place in our marriage. Well, why are you seeing a marriage counselor then? He said, it's easier to receive when you are in a good place than when you are in a bad place because what you're doing is you're building a foundation for later on. It's hard. It's hard. You know, the Jesus was t- talked about anyone who listens to what I am saying and does it. That's the qualifier. Does it is like a man who dug down deep and built his house on the on the rock. But that ca- but that came before the storm, right? He didn't build it while the storm was going on. You can do that. I've had that where I've had to learn some hard lessons from God while I'm in, the, in the middle of a storm. But it's hard to be digging when you're out in the rain and the wind is howling. It's hard to get down there into a foundation. So it's easier to receive when you are in a good place than when you are in a hard place. Right? I got to thinking about that when, he, when I heard him say that. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. What beliefs... What beliefs did you have in your heart that were strong enough to help you get through when you were in a storm? We've all had storms in life. Some of them maybe you weathered better than others. But think about it and say, what belief was it in here that got me through, that helped me get through that storm? Amen. would have been a lot easier for me to learn it ahead of time. Sometimes, grudgingly, I have learned to receive a Bible verse when I, I would have preferred some sympathy, some, oh. But through personal experience, I've learned that another person's sympathy doesn't get me very far. Doesn't get me very far. Make me feel better maybe in the moment, but then I got to go right back to the storm. At the end of the day, then, God has the only power to reach into my life and pull me out of the mire. So i said it to you many times. I want you to be more and more dependent on God and less and less dependent on anything else. Title of today's message is God Desires to Be Your Place of Rest. God Desires to Be Your Place of Rest. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. He gives his beloved sleep. And so it's the house. The Lord builds the house, what's the house? A place of rest, lest the Lord builds a house. Remember, we started out in Deuteronomy where the Lord Lord told the people, they're getting ready to go into the promised land. Mentioned it many times over the last few weeks. They're getting ready to enter into the promised land. God gave them some things before they went in there. And he said, he gave them four things. He said, you're going to remove false worship from the land. All the pagan practices in that land. You're going to remove it all. And then he said, and there's going to be a place where my name will be honored a physical location where my name will be honored in the land. And then number three, there was going to be a rest for the people because this is your promised land. And then number four, true worship is not based on personal preference. He told the people, right now you're doing whatever you want, but when you go into the land, this is what Moses, what God told the people through Moses. Moses said, right now you're doing whatever you want, but when you get in there, you're not going to be able to worship God just however you want to. There's a, a right way. And there's a wrong way. It's what what God told him. And notice how, I was thinking about that this morning, each one of those things requires the previous one to even work. Because you can't, there can't be a place for God's name to be honored in the land until all false worship is removed. Right? And And there can't be a rest for the people until the place to honor God's name is established because that's where his name, my name is established here. In this land. So you can't have any rest there until God's name is established. And then you, true, true worship can't be established until all of those previous things are, are in place. God builds things in layers. So that place where God chose for his name to be honored, it, 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 he would later call his house. Okay? Okay? Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Turn with me to Hebrews three. Let's see how far the rabbit hole goes here. <laughs> so again, there's certain key words. As you're turning, think uh, certain key words. I want you to be meditating on as you consider all this. We that we have come up many times as we've been talking about this. House, dwelling place, place of rest. Think think, think about those key words as we're going through, through here. All right, verse uh, chapter three in Hebrews verse one. I was already in the right spot. He said, "Therefore, holy brethren, you think of yourself as holy." You've said out loud, Jesus is your Lord, and you believe in your heart. God's raised him from the dead. You better get used to thinking yourself as holy, because you didn't make yourself holy. God declared you holy, and you've got to receive that declaration over yourself. It doesn't matter if you mess up every now and then. Just go back to Jesus and say, I, that was wrong. The thing I did, I, that was wrong. And he'll say, you're righteous. First John 1, 9, right? <clears throat> He's faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So there you go. you, got, you your holy, brethren and sister. <laughs> Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Consider him. He said, consider him. Think about him. Who is faithful to him who appointed him? As Moses was, also was faithful in all his house." In all his house, you can think of a house in many different ways. what you can think of it as your physical home, the you know the wood and the, and the roof and the foundation and all that. you can think of it as a phys- as your physical home. You can think of it as a household, a household. like you, you know there's a head of a household, but then there's other people that live in that household and they have a head over them, right? And so then it's like both the people in the household, because God's in all my house, Moses is the one I trust. So he's saying, Moses is a part of my household. <clears throat> okay? But you can also think of it as the property that is within your household. Some of us here have property. Some of us have livestock. Some of us have, you know, I mean, maybe you have a stream on your well or whatever. That's a part of your household in old days they used to call that your holdings. Yeah. And then number three, that you could think about it like the church, the house that God built. <clears throat> I don't know what's going on here. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> anyway, so remember God said in one of the Paul told the people, the church, he said, You are God's you are you are God's building, built with living stones. I think that's in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, I think. <clears throat> but God pointed out Moses. He, he singled Moses out, and he said, Moses is faithful in all my house. Moses is the faithful one. Now, we'll get to Jesus' faithfulness in a minute because it's greater than Moses' faithfulness. But, but, he's a, but, but Moses is faithful in all my house. another place, God said Moses was the only one he trusted in all his house. I mentioned that a little earlier. He said, you know, the leaders were, leaders were, some of the leaders were upset. It was Aaron and, and Miriam, and they're like, well, God spoke through us too. God said, hey, if there are prophets among you, I'd speak to them in dreams and visions. But I speak with Moses face to face because he is the one I trust in all of my house. <laughs> Makes you think, right? I used to wonder why. Well, why, why is Moses the one God trusts in all his house? Why? And I, it, but the answer is here in this verse, faithfulness. Faithfulness is one of those traits that you can develop in your life that God highly, 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 highly prizes. Highly prizes. Faithfulness. I cannot stress to you how important faithfulness is because I've, I've, lived, I've lived it and I didn't really think much about it. But God's had some things to say to me that I was like, wow, I didn't think about it that way. But if you think about it, think about faithfulness. When you get married, what's the top thing that you expect from your spouse? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. You don't want them sleeping around. Right? When your boss hires you, They may hire you based on your experience or your training or your education, but after you start the job, what do they expect first and foremost? Faithfulness to show up and do the work and do an excellent job, not a perfect job, an excellent job. Well, maybe they expect a perfect job, but that's, God expects excellence, which is I did my very best I could do. Not perfect, but I did my best because why why is this so important i mean even even the world recognizes that this is a valuable very valuable thing because they understand that without it nothing can operate nothing can function nothing will work you got a, you got a, a, a company of 50 people and none of them show up to do the work you have no company you know because without faithfulness there is no experience no training or education that means anything it means nothing doesn't matter how many PhDs a person has if they don't show up to work. <laughs> why did we hire you? You know. So, how much more faithful then should we be to God's expectations? God said, "No, of everyone in my house, Moses is the only one I trust." That's a big statement coming from God. Faithfulness to what God expects of you will cause Him to. Trust you. Do you want God's trust? Do you want to the, the full extent of his favor, his blessings, and his protection? Trust him when he tells you something is good for you. <laughs> oh, God said it's good for me. Okay, I better do it. Trust him when his word says to live a life worthy of your calling. You're a partaker of the calling. We just read that. But be faithful to the call. Trust him when he says, stop making promises you know you can't keep or you won't keep. Trust him when he nudges you. He whispers, these types of movies are not good for you. This type of company is not good for you. This type of that, this. Talking about gray areas now. Because, Yeah. I knew a guy in high school that he, 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 had, he had been saved and then he rededicated his life to the Lord. And, and he was in um, the theater company that I was in in high school. And he, he said, and he was one of the really good actors in that, in that group troupe. But he, he didn't audition for one of the plays. And one of my close friends, and he was really close to this guy. I wasn't so close to him, but he was close to him. And he said, he asked him, well, why, why didn't, you? he said, well, because God told me that I shouldn't be focusing on that as much. And, he, and the other guy didn't get it. He's a Christian too, but he's like, uh, what is, He's like, the play is not sinful. I said, no, it's not sinful. He's like, he's like but so then why Why would God tell him not to do it? And I understood the principle, but I couldn't articulate because God told him it's not good for him because it's changing his focus, whatever. I mean, who knows what? why God told him, don't do that. Maybe it was only for a time. Maybe it was just don't do this play because maybe there's a relationship in there that, might get formed because this person auditioned for this play. and You're going to be in close proximity to them. And Who knows? I mean, God, God knows all things. You know, could be any reason. But see, the, the willingness to yield, because yeah, he wanted to do the play, but the willingness to yield to that goes a long way with God. You know, sometimes we wonder why we're having trouble laying hold of some of God's promises. But if we're not being faithful in what we know from the word, the elementary things, then our heart is not right before him. Doesn't mean he didn't love you any less. You know. But if, you, if you, you're willing to yield to what he says in your personal walk it, it, and say, I understand, that I, maybe I don't know, but if God is telling me to do this, it must be good for me. Because his plans are only good. So then I have to say, okay, I'll, I'll do it. But when I do that, when I yield to that, and I haven't always done it, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I'm learning. But as I, as as you do that, what you're doing is you are allowing him to build your house. You've made him the builder. Because then it's the structure of, okay, I'm involved in this thing over here and I'm doing, and, I'm, and I've got this job and I've got this, I've got this class and I've got this and I've got this. Are those not like, Structural things that fit into your life, let Him build. Let Him do it. Amen. Because we don't want to labor in vain, right? They labor in vain who build it. If, they, if the Lord's not the one building it, they're still building it, but they're doing it in vain. Vain. Let God build your house, and you will have the sleep you have been hoping for. You will sleep well. Verse 3, for this one, that's Jesus, for this one, Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house, or the house itself, the builder has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Okay, so there's a lot said in that verse there. He said, we are God's, we are Christ's house if, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. So I have to, we have to stop just for just a second here. Do a little bit of it because this is just too good not to share. Okay. This just said, if you hold fast the confidence. And the hope firm to the end, you're Christ's house, right? You are Christ's house. You you want to be Christ's house. Hold fast the hope. Because the, the the confidence in the in the rejoicing part, that's the attitude that you have while you're holding fast the hope. Okay, you can hold fast the hope without those things, but you're far better off because that's what that's the that's the prescribed method, right? Be confident and rejoice while you're holding fast the hope firm. Amen. Bible hope is a confident expectation. That's what we we use hope like it's a wish. Well, I hope it doesn't rain. I hope this, I hope that, but when the Bible says hope, it doesn't mean that. It means you have a confident expectation, a joyful anticipation of, yeah, and i I likened it to, to you before, if, you know, if, if a parent comes home and they're a parent that's always kept their promises to the kid and they say, hey, I'm taking you to the carnival today, you better get ready in four hours. Get, your, get yourself ready because we're going to the carnival. And they're going to be, what? They have no reason to doubt that their parent's going to take them to the carnival. So the whole, way, the, whole, the whole way down there, they're like, oh man, imagine f- funnel cake and, ah. Oh. Because it's a confident expectation of the promise. So what are God's promises then? And you've got to be confident and rejoice about it too. Hold fast that hope. And Bible hope then. Let's see. And so we talked about some of God's expectations for us too. Because he's got hope in you. God expects us to have some confident expectations of him too. So there's a two-way street here. He wants us to expect that he will make good on his promises. And it's through Jesus that all the promises come. I'll say that again. It's through Jesus that all the promises come. The word says that God's mystery has been revealed to us in these last days. And the mystery is this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I used to wonder what that verse meant too. I told you in the past. Glory. What is glory? Glory is the expression of God's excellence, His goodness, His mercy, His blessings, His deliverance. Glory is when that comes into be like you're like wow I see it now. God revealed it all of a sudden. Whoa. Beyond my wildest expectations. And all the other unsearchable riches of Christ, when God brings them over to bear in your life, when after you have demonstrated your faith to receive, Amen. Whatever things you ask for, believe that you receive them, and then you'll have them. So there's a reason it's said here that it is a rejoicing of the hope. Okay, you rejoice you are that's something that can be done either before or after the promise comes about and gratefulness is attached to rejoicing amen all right verse 7 therefore or for this reason okay because because as the holy spirit says today if you will hear his voice do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion In the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their what? Heart. They go astray in their heart. And they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest that's God's rest. Verse 12, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. <laughs> we got to learn to call things the way God calls them, because most of us wouldn't think of an unbelieving heart as evil. But in God's eyes, it's evil. That's evil. We think of evil as like, oh, man. That's so bad, I can't even describe what that could be. And then you find out, oh, it's an unbelieving heart. Really? Yeah. That's because that's the way God sees things, and the way that he sees things aren't always the way that we see things. And then learning to see things the way God sees them, we call that virtue. Virtue. Anyway, I won't get into that now. So, beware, brethren. Verse 12. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief, In departing from the living God, God's not the one that departs, right? We depart. We leave him. Verse 13, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ. You are a partaker of Christ. And all the blessings, all the promises come through Christ. We have become partakers of Christ if, if if, we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who having heard rebelled? Now, okay, now he's going to talk about the rebellion, the the day of the rebellion. Well, what's that? What's the day of rebellion? He's going to tell us right now. For who, having heard rebel, indeed was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? You ever seen um, one of the movies about uh, Moses, and you have the parting of the Red Sea, and all the people pass through on either side, and they see this huge wall? These are the people he's talking about. They didn't believe And yet they walked through. (laughs) If it's possible for them to not believe after seeing that, it's also possible for us. So don't harden your heart. That's what he's saying. Don't harden your heart. Believe. Believe what God said. So, for who having heard rebelled, indeed was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And he provided for them all those 40 years, by the way, before they fell. Verse 18, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Remember, I said to you, we started this off by talking about the people God was about to lead into the promised land. That was a different group than the, the group that died here. Those were their kids, the ones who actually entered in, were the children of these ones that didn't, that didn't believe. So they did believe then if they were able to enter in, right? So we, start, we started off by talking about them, that group that did enter in. All right, so those were the ones who were told to get rid of false worship from the land, to, to, look for that pl- or to wait for that place that God was going to choose to honor his name. And then to enter the promised land. God told him, you're going to enter in because it's a place of rest for you. I've prepared for you. You're going to enter it. A- a- amen? Okay. He's talking about the generation before them that refused to obey God and ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. God said that generation would not enter the place of rest. Because we're talking about the place of rest. And the verse said it was because of what? Unbelief. Unbelief disqualifies us. Belief in what God said is a requirement for you to be in your place of rest. I'll say it again. Belief is a requirement. Belief in what God said. That that is required for you to be able to take advantage of the place of rest, to be at rest. Remember, the title of today's message is, God desires to be your place of rest. He wants to be your place of rest. Keep a bookmark here in Hebrews, if I can find my bookmark. And uh, I want you to turn with me to John 17, Gospel of John. Probably I expect that, I mean, we're in John a lot. Okay. You all okay? You with me? I want to I connect some dots here that we believers, we need to be connecting. We need to, we need to understand these th- how these things connect. Okay, Jesus praying. Jesus begins to pray. Jesus recognizes, and John 13, he recognizes he's about to go to the cross. And he begins to tell the disciples, these are some things you're going to need to know when I'm gone. Okay, But, then, but it's so important to him that he gets over in, by, by the time he gets to verse 17, he begins to pray for them. How would you like it if Jesus came to you and said, I want to pray for you? But, but the word says he's making intercession for us now. He's praying for you now. That's his heavenly ministry. His earthly ministry is here. Where we're about to read. But his heavenly ministry is still going on. 2,000 years. Strong. Okay. He's, gonna, he's praying here. Verse 20. I'm going to go right in the middle of his prayer. He says, I do not pray for these alone. He's praying for the disciples. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. So he's praying for us here too. That they all may be One. As you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me. There's that word glory again. The glory which you gave me, I have given them. That they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. He wants to be with us. May be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me.